Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Pop Cult X. This is episode 21 for those keeping count. Um, I'm your co-host Daniel and with me if you want to say hello is... Gabriel, how's it going? Gabriel. <laughs> there, there seems to be like always like a, a little delay. I don't know if it's the technology we're using or or maybe we're just like off in deep thought. So if you ever hear like a little delay in our talk when we're talking, just keep in mind that that's it. We're we're probably just lost in thought. It's because we're Gen Xers and we're not <laughs> the quickest anymore. <laughs> talking about Gen Xers, and I just want to say this because it was funny. I was, I was watching. I was lying down watching Schmigadoon on my phone last night. So I finally got around to watching the first episode. Now, I know we've talked about this off air that you're not a big fan of the show. Yeah. Which is okay. You no, know, it's not for everyone. I totally get that. But as I was watching it, I guess I drifted off to sleep and the phone my phone hit me square in the mouth. It hurt like <laughs> Were you hell. holding your phone above your head? I was yeah. holding it like this. And I guess <laughs> I guess I was watching it and then I guess I fell asleep momentarily. Phone slips out of my hand. Boom. Yeah. Smacks me on the mouth. I'm surprised I don't have like a fat lip because it hit it it hurt. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, for, for but, like people listening who, who don't know what Schmigadoon is um, why don't we do like a little recap? Did you get through the whole first episode or how far did you get? Yes, for, okay. I, so for, I got through the first for episode. our listeners, um, Schmigadoon is a new series on Apple Plus with, uh, I forget the actor's name already. Keegan-Michael Key and Cicely Strong. Strong yeah. So she's from yeah. SNL. He's from um, the famous skit show. Key, Key and Peele on Comedy yeah. Central. Yeah. So very, both very funny actors, very talented. Uh, but they play a couple, um, and they're sort of from the female perspective of in the relationship. Um, her character thinks that their relationship isn't like as good as it can be or should mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. and he's sort of like kind of going, you know, through the motions. And they go on a uh, couples therapy retreat, and they end up taking <laughs> a hike and end up in Schmigadoon, which is a land or town or city, whatever, that is completely a musical. So people bust out yeah, in every musical day songs, musical. you know, everyone is sort of like upbeat and positive and uh, it's very like, and not only musical, but like 1940s, 50s, like musicals. <laughs> so not like Rent or, you know, uh, well, was there a rent moment? Just no, there wasn't a rent. <laughs> Not yet. But from what I was reading about the series, it seems like it's progressing in its, um, I guess, starting from the '40s. You know, musical My Fair Lady. Um, what else is from there? Like all those type of style of musicals, yeah. and then it's at the end, it's getting into more of like a '70s styles musical with like Pippin and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses. But continue. That, that that final episode would be really funny if it was hair inspired and they all the cast is all fully <laughs> naked. <laughs> but um, so I did watch the first episode, um, and it, it it is funny. But what you know what you and I talked about, um, you know, off air is that you know I'm not a big musical fan, especially from that time period. I think that I'm more of a fan mm-hmm. of like modern day musicals, like. Hamilton or Rent or, you know, things that that I can relate to. I don't relate to like people that just like bust out and scene about like falling in love or I don't know, whatever. It just seems cheesy to me. And and my critique of it is that it, it seems like the funniest part, like the whole gag of it is that I think it's playing to people who are either in musical theater or like were musical theater and like that's their main target audience and I'm not part of that. Mm-hmm. But like those people that were, that were performers or like stage people would really enjoy it because like, that's the humor that I think that it's based off of. It's sort of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like kind of, an, I kind of get yeah, that. Like almost like an insider. I mean, I'm sure other people can watch it and still find it humorous, but that's just kind of how it struck me. Is it like, you kind of have to be part of that scene. Like, the people who like the the ex high school musical people will probably really love it. That would be me. Yeah, and that, and that's why I brought yeah. it up to you because I'm like, oh, for sure, Danny's gonna like this because it's I mean, it, it like I just imagine like someone like you watching it and then like kind of envisioning like 
oh, like I could do not, not necessarily like that you could do that or like you should be in it, but just like that that's the funny part. Like that the people are like have these fake smiles and the choreography. And like, it's funny for those people because they know what it's like to be in a musical and to like put on that like fake facade. And that's part of the mm-hmm. joke of like singing something that's so upbeat and so like ridiculous. But I don't know. For me, it wasn't as interesting. Well, it it was. I see what you mean by being, you know, maybe geared towards those, towards us yeah. or towards the music, musical theater kids. But and especially because when they were doing some of the some of the what you call them, the numbers or choreographed numbers, I can say, hey, look, that looks a lot like um, Guys and Dolls or mm-hmm. it had, gave me a feeling of the different musicals that I've seen or even performed in. So, yeah, I could see how it could be kind of insider in a way. Yeah. But the what I found amusing was it was directed by the whole series was by Barry Sonnenfeld, you know, from like Adam's Family, Men in Black. Adam's Family Values, Men in Black yeah. and Wild Wild West. So I thought that his little stamp on it was interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it progresses because mm-hmm. I've only seen the first. Well, yeah, I'll say I've seen the first episode. I'll be waking up a couple times to being smacked in the face, yeah. but I'm curious to see how it progresses. I do like a lot of the actors. I mean, Christian Chenoweth is fabulous and she, she, as her character comes in, she basically commands the stage. Yeah. If it was a stage. So it's, it was good. I mean, I I I took a while to finally watch it mm-hmm. for some weird reason, but I'll finish it up. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I agree with about Kristen Chenoweth. I think she she does have like she's extremely charismatic. I like her because I think she's funny outside of musicals. I don't think I've seen mm-hmm. a musical with her in it. I, I've I've seen wick i think i've seen wicked i'm pretty sure that we went and saw wicked but she wasn't in it like it was like the tour okay. no yeah i i definitely saw wicked because it was a friend of i think a friend of doug's was in it because he's was in musical oh, right theater on. and he has mm-hmm. a lot of friends that that tour and are in musicals and stuff so uh but i do find her really funny I, i've seen her on talk shows and uh she's just a really charismatic really funny person um but but yeah, anyway, I, something did kind of pop into my head while you're talking. You mentioned Adam's family with, with the director. And they did mm-hmm. release that they're going to be doing a new Tim Burton series on yeah. Netflix about the Adam's family. And it's going to be mm-hmm. um, about basically, I think, about Wednesday Adams and her yeah. kind of coming of age. And some of the casting is a little surprising. Um, so to share with, with our, our listeners... Uh, they announced three of the key cast members. Um, the one that was kind of shocking for me is Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia. And then um, playing uh, Gomez Adams is going to be Luis Guzman. And then um, the Wednesday Adams character is going to be portrayed by Jenna Ortega, who's sort of like a young up-and-coming actress. Mm-hmm. It was kind of cool to see that they're play- they're, they got a Latina to play Wednesday Adams. I think that's cool. I, I was kind of surprised by the the two parents like figures, and um, I'm not a huge fan of Catherine Zeta Jones, and I'll share this the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> but a few years ago, I read this article, and um, in the article, she was talking about how um, people judge her and for being rich and beautiful, and how it's not her fault that she's rich and beautiful. <laughs> And, um, and, and it was sort of like a really kind of surreal, like Hollywood starlet is complaining about being judged for being rich and beautiful. And, and the thing that I thought was kind of funny is that like at, at this age in her life, you would think that she's actually like not really viewed in that way anymore because she's getting older and more mature. And then mm-hmm. that I would mm-hmm. assume that she would start viewing herself differently as not being the young, sexy bombshell, but like maybe an elder stateswoman in Hollywood and focus more on the acting portion of it. Um, and the whole rich part just sounded ridiculous. Like she's ma- married to, I think Michael Douglas. And mm-hmm. um, that is kind of like, I don't know the way that she, she just said that, that, you know, that she's like, it's not her fault that she's rich, but like you did purposely marry someone extremely older than you. That's part of a, like a legendary Hollywood family. 
So mm, it's not like you were born rich or that you like really worked super, super hard to become extra rich. Like part of that is you're now part of Hollywood, you know, royalty mm-hmm. because royalty. of your husband mm-hmm. who you married. Not because of, I mean, what is she most famous for? Zorro and Chicago. Right. Those yeah. are the only two things that I can think of her. And I never saw Zorro, so I can't really speak to that. Chicago, again, not a fan of musicals. So I saw like briefly part of it. Um, and okay, but um, I still that's sort of like still stuck in my crawl, like that that sort of attitude. Like it just came off as very arrogant. And um, so I, I've never been a fan of her since I've read that. I've actually never been a fan of hers, period. But um what do you think about the the three people that they've announced as cast? Um, I I think I think the problem is is that Catherine Zeta Jones and Louis Guzman are going to have to live up to the Barry Sonfeld versions of mm-hmm. um, Morticia and, and Gomez, which was um, Angelica Houston and the great Raúl Julia. Yeah. Um, I think Catherine Zeta Jones can pull it off. I I, I I know what you're saying, but I think she was. She did fine in The Mask of Zorro yeah. and the other movies. I, I didn't have a problem with her. I think she was great. Yeah. Um, but I'm a, and I'm a huge fan of Louis Guzman. I really enjoy his work. I enjoy his his you know his kind of dry humor. So it's not like it's it's meant to be funny, but in a way it is funny in some of his roles that he plays mm-hmm. and and how he doesn't take himself too seriously. It seems like, mm-hmm. but stepping into the role of Gomez Adams is going to be difficult i think now i know when they redid the fam uh adam's family the cartoon animated version um who did the voice of that uh it that was song? charlize theron and i want to say oscar isaac or uh, yes oscar yeah. isaac you're right so it was a little more um and the way they portrayed him on screen was a little was completely opposite to the to the live action movies mm-hmm. that we know and love so i think he has that going for him and that maybe the, the more recent generation don't, they know of the movie, but that's not maybe their first thought of when they think of Gomez Adams, mm-hmm. they don't automatically think of Raul Julia, yeah. you know, who's this um, swashbuckler, handsome, you know, leading man. Yeah. And he really was, especially in those movies, he was, he was it. And I wanted to be him, you know, mm-hmm. it was like that. So maybe kids nowadays, they'll think of the animated version first i don't know so they have this different expectation of what gomez adams should be and i think that plays in his favor a little bit but it's an interesting casting choice and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what he has to do with it yeah i as you were saying that i kind of had this amazing idea that i thought it would have been really cool to see christina ricci play morticia adams would that have been kind of cool? Like that would have been kind of cool. She's, yeah, she's older now. She's certainly, right. I think, old enough to have a, a young teenager, and mm-hmm. I think they would have had to recast Gomez Adams to be some, you know, somewhat younger, because um, then it would have been kind of weird to have her with Guzman. Uh, but I think that would have been kind of cool. Like it would have been kind of. Um, interesting to see maybe her daughter wednesday's daughter so mm-hmm. also named wednesday yeah which would have been interesting i, I just think it would have been, been kind of cool or or even like have winona Ryder in the role and um, she is a, an older actress and she is sort of like a goth icon um for being mm-hmm. like famously pale and beautiful and i, I don't know <laughs> i just i i admit i do admit like Catherine city jones is a, a you know she performs well i just like it's one of those things where i can't separate what i know about her off screen and her on screen uh-huh. um it's like the opposite of drew barrymore who i love because i think off screen she's like a really cool person o- off screen i think Catherine city jones is like is like someone that i wouldn't <laughs> like not that i would ever be in this circle but if i were to have somehow become famous like I think I would. I want to be friends with someone like Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, and you become famous through this podcast. I know. Come on, yeah. And, and, and when she comes on, is like, oh yeah, I listen to old podcasts of you talking shit about me. And <laughs> 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 but um, it'll be interesting. Uh, Tim Burton. I mean, for the most part, everything that he does, I like. There's been some mm-hmm. like hits or miss- misses. Like I, I'm glad to like not see Johnny Depp attached to it because I, I do get kind of tired of seeing him and Tim Burton <laughs> stuff and in some like Disney stuff. Like I'm like I'm over mm-hmm. it. Like not even to to talk about like 
the whole drama between him and Amber Heard and oh, whether goodness. or not he yeah. did or did not abuse her. Like just outside of that, I'm kind of sick of Johnny Depp's face. Like in all the Disney <laughs> movies, all the Tim Burton stuff. Like I'm just like, well, I think I think you're sick of him always being playing almost the same role in the same mannerisms. It, I mean, I think like to when he was in, uh, I think it was the the tourist or something with um, Angelina Jolie. That was a completely different role than the you know the whimsical moving stuff like that. And I I enjoyed him in that. Yeah, I I don't I don't maybe I think that maybe he's not. I don't know. This might be controversial, but maybe he's not that great of an actor to be able to play different characters. Like, whereas like, I think Meryl Streep does a really good job of, of completely transforming herself where like she can play Margaret Thatcher. She can play like into the woods. She was, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, like in death becomes her. Like, I kind of believe that those roles, like that she does such a great job. She's such an incredible actress. Whereas Johnny Depp, it's like, Seeing Johnny Depp dressed up for Hollywood, or not Hollywood, for Halloween. Like, <laughs> it's like him dressed up as a pirate, him dressed up yeah, as the Mad Hatter. I see what you mean. Like, all I see yeah. is Johnny Depp in makeup. Like, and maybe it's because the makeup is so over the top and, like, so Halloween y. Like, be. whereas Meryl Streep mm-hmm. stuff is, like, more realistic looking. I don't know. Maybe. I've never really gone down that rabbit hole of like determining why, like I don't like those roles, but it just like, it's like overexposure. And of course, Disney, once they have a formula for success and like they can make money, they're like, okay, people like Johnny Depp, let's put him in everything. And we're going to like, yeah, kill this and, you know, just completely make people tired of it. Okay. How about Johnny Depp in um, finding Neverland? I didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go watch it oscar nominated i think it might even won it was it was a good movie yeah. and it was different than his normal portrayal of a character he was a father figure you know i think he played he played the author who wrote peter pan okay. uh barry i think was his last name <laughs> and um but no it was really good i'll have to it check it enjoyable. out yeah. yeah but speaking of disney and formula for success mm-hmm. and like you say they own pretty much every um entertainment thing you want to get star wars marvel um all their you know ip that they own already so i saw the what if episode on disney plus that that was just released it's the whole now i'm a huge fan of what if questions you know it's the alternate history of things what if this had happened what if that had happened what would it look like you know i think um amazon prime did a good what if uh, i think it's called the man in the high castle or something like mm-hmm. that where what if the nazis had won world war ii yeah. and it was interesting it's a, you know it's just a different path to take so you can get really creative and so their episode of what if the first one was what if steve rogers hadn't received this super serum the soldier super serum and it went to Peggy peggy carter mm-hmm. so that whole the episode surrounding was what if she became captain carter instead of steve rogers it was interesting i liked it but here's a bigger question and now let me, let me ask you this and get, I'll have you respond. What if Disney and Marvel have now gone too far and are creating too much entertainment for us? What if they've oversaturated themselves? Yeah. And I mentioned this because think back to when um, Avengers Infinity War came out. So that ended. And then we had to wait a year for the next Avengers Endgame. So they had a year of buildup and anticipation. Now it seems like every month we get some new Marvel show, which is great if you really like it, mm-hmm. but it seems like, okay, now something new. Yeah. I don't have sense that sort of, you know, anticipation and buildup. I mean, there is right now for like Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I'm interested for that, you know, no way home, but everything else is like, do we have to have that? Can we wait on that a bit? Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think of that? Do you think it's oversaturated right now? I, so yeah, you presented that question to me. And so I started thinking about it and I think it is a yes. And and here's a good example of, of I just put, connected the dots right now. Today was free comic book day. Um, so today is what the 14th, this will air later or yeah. whatever. But uh, so I went to my local comic book store to, to get free comics and, and, and basically it's to support the comic book shop. You go for the free comic, but really you're going to, you know, buy other stuff, you know, (laughs) that's the true reason what to go. Anyway. So I was looking at some of their trade paperbacks. So like collected versions of, you know, back issues of comics. And 
my go-to is always Marvel. I, I definitely am a Marvel man. Like you can, let me mm-hmm. kind of aim my camera. You can see like my Marvel <laughs> poster, like all my, my Marvel figs. Every, I'm Your shrine. <laughs> um, and so I, I went to Marvel and I, I went to, you know, my, my main group of comics that I like to read X-Men Avengers. And I went through it and I was like, Meh. and I ended up going to DC and buying a trade paperback of a, a, a character that I'm not really familiar with. I kind of know, but it, it kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like I, I kind of am burnt out with the X-Men with Avengers, with Captain Marvel, with uh, <laughs> Captain America, with all of those characters. And- yeah. Like, and, and they're all great characters. Like I think Loki, I bought maybe, a few months ago, and we might have even talked about it, that I went back and collected some old issues to read, and and I and I ended up not even watching this series because I I think I am kind of burnt out on Marvel at this point. Like I, it's it's been so much content. Like I, I saw Black Widow and I loved it, um, and I looked at some Black Widow comics today and decided not to get it because I was just like, eh, like is it really going to interest me right now? Let me get let me try something completely new that I don't know anything about the character that's going to surprise mm-hmm. me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know their backstory. So I went, you know, DC route and like completely, completely unknown. I didn't do like Batman, Superman or anything like that. And so I think that speaks to Marvel and Disney just like pummeling us with all this content, whether it not only from, the movie aspect, but TV shows and comic books and, and, and to their credit, it has all been really good stuff, but mm-hmm. like, we don't have any room to breathe. It's just like right, one thing right. after the other. And so right. you do kind of get burnt out. It like takes a really big fan to like watch everything and read everything. And, and, and as far as like the X-Men, which I'm a really big fan of, there's been so many like, crossover events and all these books that have been released and all it to the point where like, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on with some of the X-Men. Like (laughs) what? Like, I mean, like someone's going to have to like write a dissertation on like where they are as characters. And like, like, cause it's just like so much that like you kind of feel like you can't get caught up because there's so much stuff. So I I do agree. and I'm not saying that it's bad. You're right. No. It's been good stuff. It's just it's like too much, and it's all in that same realm. So I think that's why I go back to episode 20 last week in that the Suicide Squad was so refreshing mm-hmm. to me because I didn't know anything about any of those characters aside from Harley Quinn. Yeah. And I think – and I sh- regret saying not saying talking about this last week was Peacemaker, mm-hmm. who was portrayed by John Senna, was absolutely – one of my favorite in there. He had some one-liners like, I love peace so much, I kill for it, or something like that. It was just so fantastic. And I think I think they're even doing a spin-off TV series on HBO Max of Peacemaker. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to that. With with John Cena, directed and written by James Gunn. So it's all I think I saw some like um Instagram posts of John Cena walking around town in full um, outfit, yeah. helmet, and everything, just walking around getting a latte or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's something really cool that I'm looking forward to because we don't we haven't had that so much as we had with Marvel. So just something to think yeah. about. I, and I did enjoy the character. Um, you know, I, I I've talked about this before, but I don't like when good characters like turn bad. Like I like the good characters to be good. I don't like an antihero <laughs> as much as uh-huh. you do. Um, and so I. I but the thing that I do find interesting about him is that that character, I think, really speaks to American patriotism and how we do idolize like the militaristic hero that like yeah, it will do anything true. for freedom, you know, for mm-hmm. freedom. Yeah, and it's like that's true. when you, you hear about the things that some of the people in the military have done, like some war crimes. And some people are like, well, anything for freedom, anything for America. Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. other people are like, yeah, no, that's villain type shit. Like that's, you're not a hero. Yeah. You're yeah. actually a villain. Right. And I think that that's Even one of the things yeah. that is interesting about that character is that like, mm-hmm. okay, if you put everything under the guise of I'm the all American hero, I'll do anything for freedom or for, you know, peace. But wait, anything is making you do some evil exactly. stuff. So mm-hmm. 
it, it'll be interesting to see how they go with that character and if they, um, you know, uh, investigate or kind of go down that route of like, you know, integrate like Black Lives Matter or, you know, anything that is referential to what's going on in society and how uh, law enforcement or government isn't as trusted as it was before and giving a more realistic perception of them of like, you know, yeah, we did really, you know, admire law enforcement when we were kids, but then we got a realistic view of like what some law enforcement people actually do. Mm -hmm. And it's not Mm -hmm. like a black and white issue. It's not clean cut. And a character like that kind of really drives that home. And I think that that's what makes him kind of interesting. Not only just because like, I think he was a funny character, but like there's some serious stuff that they could really delve into that would be really interesting. They could. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see what, if his character has a growth arc, maybe he realizes that, like you said, some of the stuff that we used to hold um, true is, or as you know, out there on a pedestal is not really as it appears to be. So it'd be interesting to see where they take that. So yeah, yeah, you're right. There's a, a story arc in Captain America where he's kind of questioning, Amer- you know, the government and uh, his patriotism, and the right wingers are like going crazy, saying like now Captain America isn't even pro American, and it's like you can be pro America and patriotic, but you can also be honest and realistic with the flaws that we have in our, in our government. And, and I think you are being patriotic if you are being honest about the flaws. That's what a true patriot does. Exactly. Not these, you know, what we see nowadays that call themselves patriot when they're just terrorists. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of that in comics. I know you're not a real big comic book fan, but there's also um, a new Superman who is, the son of Cal L, which is the son of Superman in Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. And um, I think his, you know, Superman's old catchphrase was like truth, justice in the American way. And they have changed that now. And he doesn't say in the American way. And so again, the right wingers are like, Oh my God, you're changing, you know, and Dean Kane, who is uh, like Z list celebrity who played Superman, like back in like the seventies or something. Mm-hmm. He uh, <laughs> in the early two thousands, late nineties. <laughs> he he like famously like goes on like any talk show that will have him and like talks about how like Superman would never. And it's like um, you're not the writer, you're not the creator. You played Superman exactly. for like a blip in his history, mm-hmm. so you really have mm-hmm. no like reason to be dictating to people what <laughs> Superman can or can't do or any other. What do you mean? Right? He goes around wearing the costume underneath his clothes wherever he goes. What really, do you mean he's not Superman? Really funny if he did, and sad in so many ways. <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. And um, and and so yeah. So and and typically the people that are complaining about these comics becoming you know woke comics or whatever you want to call them are people that aren't even familiar with the history of comics because like comic books have Mm -hmm. actually explored that same territory, like in the sixties. And that's why like people, people who are true comic book fans, like love comics because they've explored racial inequality, sexism, things like that, like forever. Like this isn't a new thing. It's just that our our country is so divided now that every little thing is politicized. So like like looking at comics and trying to make a political issue out of it, but they don't even read comics and know the history of comics. So they start saying outlandish things like, Oh, now captain America is quote woke or Superman is woke. Well, actually they've already Mm -hmm. have been. And like that they've explored that territory like decades before you even became interested in it. So um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, I am, I'm, definitely kind of surprised to hear about um, the peacemaker getting his own spinoff. And I think it'll be cool to watch. Is it, is it going to be a television series? I think on HBO yeah, max. HBO yeah. Max. Okay, cool. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm excited to see that. Yeah. It looks interesting. And like you said, I agree with all the points you're making about the comic books and being woke. I mean, Captain America was a propaganda piece when he first came out to, about punching Hitler in the face, right? So, well, and what's interesting about that is like, he, like, I always post that, by the way, like him punching Nazis and like him, like punching Hitler in the face. And then, but Mm -hmm. then you have right wingers that are aligned with actual Nazis, but -hmm. pretending to be patriotic. And it's just like, like my mind (laughs) goes into like, can't, 
compute because it's like you're claiming <laughs> to be patriotic, you're anti like wokeness, but you're aligning yourself with Nazis. And Captain America is like iconically famous for fighting Nazis and Hitler. Like you can't like it. Just it's so yeah. stupid you can't even make sense out of it. But I mean, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are, twenty twenty one, and this is what it's given us. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so what else? What else have you uh, been watching? Um, I watched a movie on Netflix called Paper Tigers. Not sure if you've seen it yet. I haven't watched it yet. But the movie was fantastic. So it's it's a martial arts movie, kung fu. And um I have a little, I guess, before I get too far into it. So an earlier episode we talked about gung fu Mm -hmm. and gun fu and you know, with John Woo, John Wick characters with the gun gun fu, G U N Fu, how they have their guns and they're using them as weapons and extensions of themselves, and that's a gun fu. But your father, you said in his lexicon was gung fu. Yeah. And how I said maybe it's the same thing. If you watch this movie, you'll find out otherwise. Uh, it's an actual so thing. It is an actual word. So I guess in the Chinese or within the martial arts industry, they don't say kung fu. They say gung fu. Hmm. So I was really surprised by that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I got to own up to my little mistake I guess I made. And so why does my Mexican-American it, father know that? <laughs> Maybe he watched a lot of kung fu movies in his youth. I <laughs> yeah, don't know because this movie, funny. this movie, it it so it's set the first part of it, like the montage opening sequence is set in the early nineties. So the guys are like you know training their three disciples of this one grandmaster, and they're his only disciples. So they call them the three tigers, and they're very good and very profound at what they do. And then it cuts after that montage to thirty years later. And now they're middle-aged, so they're more, you know, more or less our age. Yeah. And they're and their Sifu dies, so they have to, like, unravel the mystery behind his death and um, rekindle their fighting spirit, so to speak. And, and you can only imagine, you know, you haven't done Kung Fu in 20 years. You go and you try to get into a fight and you try to do some of the moves. It's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I can relate to that because I had been... Um, after many years of not doing martial arts, I studied Taekwondo for like probably 10, 15 years and then took a long break and then went back into, um, Kung Fu and oh my gosh, it hurt. (laughs) It was painful. So a lot of the stuff that they were feeling on the screen, I could totally relate. And it was hilarious. And the whole movie was, it's a comedy. It reminds me of like Jackie Chan's like Rumble in the Bronx or Super Cop. So it has that sort of like style and vibe. It's very, you know. I don't want to say low budget, but it's um, not a, a blockbuster mm-hmm. by any means. But I think right now it's like number six on Netflix worldwide movie nice. watch list. So it's it's getting up there. And um, it's really a fun movie. It really reminds me of, you know, those movies. So it takes me back to when I was enjoying watching those. And the whole story, the, the martial arts choreography was fantastic. And it's just seeing the moves there. It makes me... It reminds me of when the first time I saw The Matrix. You know how The Matrix, he's like, I know Kung Fu, show me. And then they start fighting and you see him doing that. I got out of the movie theater and I was like, yeah, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go. I know all these stuff, you know. And it gave me back that same sort of feeling. Like I wanted to get up and start doing some blocks and kicks and stuff like that. So I know, I'm not sure if that's how the director intended it. And maybe we'll ask him. Mm -hmm. But I know he's getting that response from a lot of people who are in the same boat as me where they have practiced martial arts in their youth and they haven't done it in a while. But now after watching this movie, they want to get back into it. So it's kind of, you know, rekindling that not only for his characters, but also for the world at large. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, both me and my brother took karate and we had two of the weirdest teachers. The first one (laughs) looked like Charles Manson. Like literally looked like Charles Manson. And me being me, I would daydream in class, of course, and like, I don't know what I was thinking about, but I wasn't phys- like mentally there. So I would yawn <laughs> and no joke, he would literally get his fingers and like jab me in the mouth whenever I yawned. 
And so then it became like, I would try to bite his hand. This is so weird, but I would try to like bite his fingers, like out of spite. Like, how are you, why are you like poking me in the mouth whenever I yawn? And it was supposed to be like a teen. This is how like rebellious I am. Like I would be the worst, like, uh, what would, what's up? A a uh, protege. Like I, I would be one of, I would be like in a, a Kung Fu movie, like the protege that like turns on the master and becomes a villain. Because he thinks ah, he's better yeah, than yeah. them. That would be me. Uh-huh. Like, I have to be honest with myself because, like, whenever someone, like, is challenging me, like, I I tend <laughs> – I don't react well to it. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> and so, okay. So, anyway, that was my first karate teacher. The second one looked like Chuck Norris. Like, total, like, oh, nice. hillbilly in Arizona. Like, white guy teaching karate. And the oddest thing about him is that he used to have, like – he would wear a baseball cap. Why are you wearing a baseball cap to teach karate? I don't know, but he did. And he would put it so like softly on the top of his head that whenever he would do like a move, like a punch or a kick or his hat would stay still and his head would move. And so like (laughs) his hat would go in a different direction and then he'd have to like adjust it. But like, adjusting it just meant like straightening it on but not pulling it down on his head it was the oddest thing in the world like it was that's what made me that that's what triggered me into like never wanting to do martial arts like having those two teachers i was like okay no i'm done (laughs) so if you want a visual of what gabe's instructors look like go watch the movie napoleon dynamite (laughs) and (laughs) you'll see take a look at the martial arts instructor in there and there you go yeah i'm just kind of guessing but that's what how i pictured it so i I, that's another like a confession of mine is that i've never fully watched napoleon dynamite i've only seen parts of it i can't get through it okay gabe go watch napoleon dynamite just that one part (laughs) just so i can see that so i can get your reference but it's like one of those movies again like schmigadoon when i'm like am i not in on the joke like i don't find their characters funny and (laughs) i think that's the thing though it's not meant to be funny it's just like that's uh, what's funny is that it's not funny like i don't that's not funny to me (laughs) (laughs) it's just like um like a portrayal of someone's life you know it's just like a a sneak peek at their life in that certain time window and i i i I like that i think that's funny especially when they're characters that are meant that are more realistic in a way because i can picture i mean i went to school with some people like napoleon dynamite so i can picture them in that role and and just seeing how they would react and definitely they would act that way Hmm. i think it's funny Uh, i'll have to check it out i don't know (laughs) <laughs> i'm still not sold out on napoleon dynamite what 20 years later i don't even know how old it, is. it seems like it it seems like it yeah, but gary sanchez productions that was really good he, they did a lot of films i'm so, i'm sorry that they are no longer around but whatever sweet anything else catch your catch your eye this week or that um some new music the- uh, i've been listening to the new lizzo cardi b collab um i think it's called rumors uh, it's kind of cool, like catchy. Like I, I really like both Cardi B and Lizzo for their mm-hmm. like zero fuck attitude. Like they're, yeah. they both kind of, <laughs> you know, have been famously criticized for be there, being either like too provocative, too like overly sexual. Like um, mm-hmm. I think that Lizzo went to an NBA game once and she was wearing like something where basically her ass was hanging out and she had like a thong on and people were like, Oh my God, she should be so so ashamed of herself. And you know, how is she a role model and she's too big. And it's like, if, if it was Carmen Electra or I I don't know, that's a really old reference, but like someone who's considered like, you know, (laughs) hot or whatever, but you know, bad an eye, they would be, but because she's a larger woman, like, this whole idea of like, she ought to be ashamed of herself or, you know, because she is a black woman and her, she like owns her sexuality. She ought to be ashamed of herself. Or, I mean, it's a lot of like shame being put on both Cardi B and Lizzo about their sexuality and like being overly sexualized. And, um, I just think it's kind of weird because I, I feel like women of color get that a lot more like from like mainstream media and a lot of like calling them like whores or you know a a lot of other um, and there's no need to go into a list of words that they get get called but you don't really see that when it comes to like 
I mean, I don't know who the white woman equivalent of that would be, but like, let's say like Kim Kardashian or Pamela Anderson, like mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian is like so mainstream, but has was famous for being in a porno. Like that's and, how she got famous. Yeah. For being and so famous, yeah. like, how is Cardi B like with her WAP song, like any more less, any more or less scandalous. And I'm not saying we should shame Kim Kardashian, but I'm just like, it's curious that like, when a white woman it owns her sexuality and is provocative and on covers of magazines like completely naked, it's okay and it's like it's you know sensational and it's amazing. But when like uh, Afro Latina and an African American woman do it, it's disgusting. They're harlots. They're the world's gonna end. Like it's horrible. So like anyway. Outside of that whole thing, the song is a good song. I love it. They address sort of that controversy. Uh, and they, I mean, and I'm glad to see that they kind of take that controversy and the remarks that they get. And they're like, we still don't give a shit. Like, we're still going to do right, right. what we do. And right. haters are going to hate. Like, there's a lyric in there that, like, I, it was such a good lyric. And I, I wish I would have written it down. Uh, but it was really, you know, I, it was kind of like a profound, like, yeah, that's so true, Lizzo. Like, it's such a good lyric. I don't know if she wrote the lyrics. I'm going to have to check that out. But um, it, it basically spoke to, like, how, you know, people are going to always, like, talk shit, always going to hate on people. And, you know, like, it is what it is. Like, don't pay any mind to mm-hmm. them. Like, just live your life. Like, the more success you have, they're going to keep coming after you. So, yeah, true. that's really good. Um, the other album that I was listening to is um iggy azalea's new album and i have mixed feelings about it because uh iggy azalea is like famous for you know being accused of like cultural appropriation like white women from australia like taking over you know a hip-hop persona i i hate to like admit this but like i really do like her music i can't help it uh and i think that it speaks to like really i'm not really a hip-hop kind of fan like i'm not uh, hardcore hip hop head. So like I am more attracted to like the pop side of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what she kind of speaks to me. And, and honestly, like I went, I'm from like a private school background. Like I'm so not street or hardcore or like any of that. You don't got no street yeah, cred. So, Is like, that what you're saying? Of course <laughs> I'm going to relate to like the fake persona of Iggy Azalea than I am to like Wu-Tang Clan. Like, and, and, right. and I think that like, there's, I mean, I don't think she should take the space of anyone within the hip hop community. Like, I don't think she should be considered the best female MC. Like that should go to someone who like took part in the creation of that culture. But I do think that there's room for her, for the nerdy, like white people that listen to that kind of music that aren't ever going to really fit in with like hardcore hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like I, like I'm not going to really go to a Wu-Tang clan and blend in like at a concert. Like I'm going to stick out. Like I'm not, that's not me, but I would, you know, so like I have to admit, like as much as I don't like listening to a white Australian female rapper, I, I do like it. I can't help it. It's like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, uh, it's weird because, like you, I don't listen to much hip hop. Yeah, but when I do, it's like it's like like I'm a big fan of DMX. I'm a big fan of Nas, and Nas just released a new album. Oh, okay. and on one of the tracks, he features again Lauren Hill, huh. which I thought was really cool. It's like her first time making a comeback. I think the track is called Nobody, and it speaks to um, you. I have to read the lyrics again, but I was just listening to it and I really enjoyed it. And the message was basically, you know, we. Like you're saying, we don't give any F. We don't care anymore what you think. We're just going to live our lives. Yeah, I'm trying to be the clean guy here. <laughs> but it's, um, it's really cool. I really appreciate the fact that Lauren Hill came, quote unquote, out of retirement yeah. to, um, to appear on this track. And it was really fun seeing her on there. I mean, I know I go back to their first track they recorded together. Um, if I Ruled the World. Yes, thank you. And that was like one of my favorite. And it's... It's really cool to, to. It was really cool to hear them together again on the same track. Yeah. Well, and, and that like that is one of my favorite songs like within hip hop. But the part that like I'm really attracted to is the Lord Hill part, and mm-hmm. and that's like I I'm not 
Like, I mean, that's just, even though I grew up, like I grew up going to like ghetto boy concert, uh, ice cube and WA, like I, that was like in middle school, like that was my thing. But then I think I started feeling that it was like really artificial or fake of me to really be in. Cause like, I'm so not part of that culture. So then it just felt okay. really inauthentic for me to be like, yeah, I, mean, like I guess you West can side. enjoy the music. Like, I, right? I do. I enjoy it from like, from like a fan's distance, like on, on TV, but it's like, fans like, uh-huh. but like clearly that's not my culture. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, yeah. And so like, I feel, I would feel weird being overly critical of someone like Iggy Azalea or like Eminem or, um, who's the other white rapper that like he gets a lot of shit that I actually like. Um, God, what was his name? His name? He's from like Seattle, Macklemore. Like people like mm-hmm. love clowning on him. I actually mm-hmm. like his music, and like I know that makes me sound corny in like hip hop community standards, but I, I mean I'm not. I, that's not my culture, so like of course I'm gonna like the corny stuff. <laughs> you know what's corny is I really enjoy um, Matis Yahoo, the mm-hmm. Hasidic Jewish reggae artist, oh. and it's like you know totally left field of what you would expect, but I like his music. Well, I was just listening to him the other day while I was driving, oh, yeah? and what one of the things that I found interesting is one, I think that he's no longer like practicing his religion. So oh, I, I haven't followed. Yeah, that. so I think that because he was like super hardcore, like he wouldn't shake mm-hmm. women's hands mm-hmm. because you know you can't shake women's hands. Like he had separate like rooms for fans, like men and women. So like he took it seriously. It wasn't just like a gimmick for him. But I think he's since left that sort of practicing side of his religion. Um, what was my okay. point? Oh, but oh, I, what the thing that I found <laughs> what was interesting is that like hearing him sing, he sings in that like, I, I, I want to say like Patois version of like Jamaican reggae sound. But yeah. like mm-hmm. a lot of, I never saw, saw anyone criticize him of cultural appropriation. And, and so like it, 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 it's like at one point, is it acceptable? Like, I don't know his history. So I don't know if he grew up like within like a, uh, jamaican neighborhood in new york and like that was part of his culture and or if it's like a character that he puts on like does he speak in that accent when he's speaking every day and it uh it, it, i don't know it is it is an interesting topic when it comes to music like can you be just a fan of a genre of music and then a, adapt or adopt a persona that speaks in like um uh, you know uh an accent that is more in alignment with like hip hop or Jamaican or reggae and Mm -hmm. not be accused of cultural appropriation. And I mean, but there are people that are rappers that are like, you know, Will Smith or um, I can't really think of someone that like, let me say, like maybe think that like they don't come from like a really hardcore background, but maybe when they do rap or sing, they still adopt that sort of way of speaking because it's part of the music style. Um, I, I mean, like another thing too, is like Keith Urban, I think he's Australian. Do people accuse him of cultural appropriation singing in like a country, country accent? Music? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, That's a good question. I mean, because like the music's so popular, it spread to Australia, but it, all, it certainly was like an American country sound. So like, is that cultural appropriation? If he's like pretending to be a cowboy when he's like from the outback? I don't know. It's interesting. I would. Like, there are cowboys in the outback, you know, but they're not like country degree, western. Right? It's not like the old pickup trucks and in- Opry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's a different. I, I mean, I, I assume it's different, and I think that it's. But like, it, it's weird because like now that we have technology, hip hop. You know, if we continue to use that as an example, spreads all over the world. So then you have kids mm-hmm. that are like in Paris listening to it. They listen to the lyrics. They start dressing. They start adapting their uh mannerisms their language so is that inauthentic that that they're so touched by the music that they start to become part of that culture and then if they then turn around and let's say they're not black that they're you know a white parisian person are they not supposed to then do that style of music even though they grew up listening to that style of music, you're like, don't give me. I'm- <laughs> That's above my pay grade, I think. <laughs> but I agree with you. Though. I mean, to it is a very good point and a very deep question that maybe we need to bring on some scholar in that realm yeah. and have a, like a 
maybe opposing views on that because yeah I, I think it's a bigger question like at what point do we draw the line and say you know what you can enjoy the music you can enjoy that but when you try to i guess people can really um sort out when people are being fake right yeah so when they're not authentic to it and when they're just you know trying to um profit off of it pro exactly profit off it or just make i was gonna say make money but profit's the same thing so, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> just when they're just trying to do that and people can sniff that out. And I think that's when they get called out and rightly so. Yeah. But I think if people are authentic to it and they, and I don't want to say that they built up the street cred yeah. from it, but when they put in the miles and they put in the work and people know that that's, that's who they are, then I don't see a problem with it. But like I said, that's above my pay grade. And I think it's, it's a good debate, a good question. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's kind of made news that like kind of subtly made new to, news. I didn't really see this everywhere, but um, Eminem, who was kind of famously misogynistic and homophobic when he was mm -hmm. like at his peak, uh, apparently he adopted his ex-wife's child with another man. And so his adopted child um, has come out as, as I, I believe, non-binary or possibly is... Um, Con yeah, I think she they came out as non-binary. Um, I'll have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure they said non-binary. And um, I think it's interesting to see how if if his attitude or how he has evolved now that his child has come out and mm -hmm. whether or not he starts to like open his open up his eyes to the LGBT community and how he's matured. And I think that it's sad that if it takes like your child, well, I shouldn't say that because I think that sometimes it does take someone close to you to like come out or to impact you personally for you to change your opinion about things. So I'm kind of curious yeah. if like he'll be more open. And um, I believe he tweeted something about supporting his child and um, his other child. Um, I forget her name, Haley or whatever, the one that he always rapped about. Um, mm -hmm. She has accepted and kind of embraced their sibling um and and so i, I don't know it's kind of a, a a good sign of i guess maybe someone famous who has grown and progressed in their nature coming from like you know making fun of moby and and using all kinds of derogatory terms for for gay people or right. for men and um to now to progressing to a point where like he can wholly accept his child as who they are and um you know accept and love them so i think that was kind of encouraging to see someone have that type of growth especially in hip-hop culture which is traditionally very misogynistic and homophobic <laughs> so very true kind of cool that is cool i've never been a big fan of m and m and m so i mean i don't know saying i i have my my <laughs> niece is she's like a grown adult now but she came to visit me once she's from florida well she's actually from ohio but now they live in florida and i remember watching mtv and of course me being me i you know he came up on it and i was like oh i hate eminem because i hate everything and she like looks at me like <laughs> and i and she's like well eminem probably hates you too and i was like well uh like oh that's <laughs> funny if eminem even knows who i am like thanks thanks for thinking that he knows me and that i'm on his radar but i'm not that popular i would gladly wear that as a badge if eminem hated me <laughs> obviously as like a christina aguilera stan i had to hate eminem because he like came for her in his raps and like labeled her as a whore and she was like the youngest like I mean, if you're going to come after someone like really like a 19 year old, like five foot one, a hundred pound wet, mm -hmm. uh, you know, little girl, that's <laughs> a, a, a pop singer. Like I, I can't respect anyone that's like, tries to like act like they're hard, but then like right. comes after Moby of all people, another like little vegan, skinny, nerdy guy and Christina Aguilera. Like you're a punk, and so anyway, yeah. now I'm going to start getting down that train, going down that, <laughs> that path. So I'll stop. But I, I started it trying to give him a compliment, and by saying that he's right, a punk, and now I'm back into my old. <laughs> so let me end it there. Like I think it's good that he has accepted his uh, 
uh, non-binary uh, child. So we'll end it at that <laughs> before I Sounds start <laughs> going down another path here. <laughs> right on, uh, right on. <laughs> um, well, I think I have nothing else for right now. One last thing I have actually is I'm reading a really good book called The House in the Cerulean Sea. It's by this oh. author called uh, named T.J. Clune. And um, I'm about halfway done with it, but it's a great book. Like when I'm done, we can probably like fully talk about it. But um, just to give you an idea of what it is, and if anyone wants to like join me and read it by the time I discuss it on, on you know, whatever episode. Gabe's Pop Cult X Book Club. Yeah. Um, it's about this, you know, this, this future. I don't know if it's future or like this. It takes place in a setting that um, – mythical beings exist so like let's say fairies witches trolls dragons etc but they're uh placed into orphanages as children to monitor them and and the book comes from the main the protagonist being basically like a social worker where he goes and checks these orphanages and, and reports back to this organization that's in charge of managing these kids um, on whether or not they're being handled with care, basically. And he gets a new assignment and he goes and there's like five kids. And one is a shapeshifter that can turn into a dog. One is like a dragon like creature um, one is a gnome, which is which kind of funny is that she's a female gnome, but female gnomes also grow beards, so she has a beard. <laughs> and uh, and uh, a I want to say fairy, but maybe not a fair like a nymph or something like it, uh, like a fairy kind of creature, like yeah. a wood creature that can like control flowers and trees and the earth or whatever. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then lastly. Um, a, a young boy who they call Lucy and the character finds out the reason why they call him Lucy is his full name is Lucifer and he's actually the antichrist. And, nice. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's what he's walking into is this orphanage, the house in the Cerulean sea. It's an Island. Um, and it's um, these kids that are in this home with this caretaker and the caretaker is basically trying to teach them that, even though actually there's another kid that's like sort of like a blob kind of monster and being labeled as a quote monster as a child and how that would impact them. And they're trying to teach this particular caretaker is trying to teach them like, you don't have to go down that path just because that's the expectation expectation of you. You can be whatever you want Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the care, the social worker is going to investigate them and there might be alternative ulterior motives from this government agency. Like I've yet to determine that. And as far as I've read, but it's just a really interesting book. Uh, It's really like kind of interesting because like, it obviously has like a fantasy realm um, to it with all these like mythical kind of beings. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a fan of like mutants and people with powers. So like, that's right up my alley <laughs> and then how they're mistreated by like, a, you know, quote the norms in society and how they're shunned yeah. by them. And, you know, they're, you know, it's a metaphor of like, you know, it could be gay, it could be people of color. It could be a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. And, so obviously, you know, reading it, you relate to, or I relate to those characters. And um, so anyway, I really highly recommend it. If anyone wants to read a good book, it's called The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Um, I think it was like a New York Times bestseller. It's, I think it's been out for a while. Um, I just happened oh, okay. to like be in, in the bookstore and it caught my eye. And I'm glad that I picked it up because it's it's really good. I, I've been reading it for like the last maybe one or two days and uh, it's grabbed my attention. It's really good. So highly recommend it has the pop cult X seal of approval. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I think I'll have to, I've been looking for a new book to read. So I think I'll go ahead and pick that up from my local library or are your library open app. over there. Yes. Oh, you're well, lucky. Were. But I have, I get all my books through like the digital app. So I don't, Oh, so you download I just read it off my phone or my Kindle. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it, 
So it's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I look forward to reading that. Yeah, definitely it check it really out. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm I'm the old school nerd that like I ha I I've bought all the like Kindles, you know, all the, the iPads and like I can't get into reading books. I on, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like I it's, just like the smell of the paper, the feeling, I, the like the physical trait of it having it in your hand. Yeah, yeah I understand that. And I like I've going only to the bookstore. Book- yeah, and so the do library, I. yeah. Um I the only reason I switched mainly to digital is because I don't need a light. So I could just use it on I don't need a light to illuminate the pages, so yeah. to speak. And I can read it whenever, late at night, which is when I read a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that wraps up this episode of Pop Cult X. Um, last episode, Professor Gabe issued a challenge out, and we'll still keep that challenge going. If you can, I can um, send us a comment. Let us know where you're listening from. We're going to be taking a poll, and we want to kind of like maybe give shout outs to your cities. Why not um, be the representative for your city who listens to Pop Cult X? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks for um, enjoying, hopefully, what we're offering. Be sure to share us out to all your friends if you are. And share us out to all your friends, even if you're not. Um, why not? Join the, Maybe they'll like us. Join the cult of Pop Cult X. <laughs> That's going to be the commercial. Join the cult. Pop Cult X. Pop Cult X. <laughs> well, right on. So um, stay safe, everyone. And we will see you next time. Take care, everyone.